Welcome to the Homeschooling Families Podcast. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. On today's podcast, I'm going to be talking to Kate Battistelli, who's the author of The God Dare and Growing Great Kids. Kate has a fascinating testimony that I'm excited for you to hear, but she's also a little farther along in her parenting journey than I am, so she's going to be giving all of us some insight as we chat about empty nests and how to prepare yourself and your kiddos for the next stage of life. You don't want to miss a moment, so stay tuned. I'm so excited to talk to Kate and for you guys to get to know her a little bit more. She has so much good stuff to share. But before we dive in, I want to make sure you're not missing out on a really cool element in our weekly Sunday night homeschool subjects email. Every week, we bring you the taste and see geography and prayer curriculum right there embedded in that email. This is a free project that we're coordinating with our friends at Voice of the Martyrs and providing you a free prayer guide for all or to pray for believers all around the world. As you do that, we're giving you cultural and activity information to help you really dive into where they are and what their life may look like. It is a great resource that a lot of families have thoroughly enjoyed. So go ahead and ask for your free prayer guide at teachthemdiligently.net forward slash V-O-M. And then make sure you're reading your homeschool subjects every Sunday night to get that week's prayer prompt and geography information and activities. You don't want to miss a week. So go to teachthemdiligently.net forward slash V-O-M to get your free prayer guide now. Then tune in each week to see where we're headed. All right. Now I am very pleased to welcome Kate Battistelli to the podcast today. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Leslie. I'm excited to be here and talk to all the listeners. I am thrilled that you're here. I One of my greatest memories really in the last several years was having dinner with you guys in Florida and getting to know you and hear your stories. I That was one of those, those relationships that I called David immediately and I'm like, oh, you've got to meet these people. These are, I, I just, I fell immediately in love with you guys. And so I'm really, really glad you're here. And one of the things that really struck me was how God has led in your life. So I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit of your story and how you got to where you are today, because it's it's so different than mine. And I think it's really good for us to hear people who, who God has brought to himself in very different ways. Oh, sure. I mean, it, it's a quirky story. And I... I, I... <laughs> You know, I just, I look at my life and go, how, how did any of this happen? But actually, you know, we got to go back about 40 years. So that's a long time ago. Many of you homeschooling moms probably weren't born yet, but that's okay. I was an actress in New York. I was trying to be famous. I did not know the Lord. So here I am. I grew up in New Jersey, moved to New York because I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be on Broadway, win a Tony, all that. Well, I was young. I was in my mid twenties and I went out for an audition to be the understudy for a big national tour of The King and I, to understudy for the leading lady. If you remember back to the movie, it was Yul Brenner who starred in the movie. Well, he was still starring in it all over the world at that point. So he was the head of this big tour. And I ended up getting cast as the understudy, which I thought, man, this is awesome. I'm going to go out on the road. I know I'll never get to perform, but you know, I'll have a credit. I'll earn some money. I'll see America. 
So I packed up my trunk. I went off on the bus and thought, okay, this is great. Well, and I did my understudying duties. I was in the show, but way in the back, you couldn't see me because I had blue <laughs> eyes. And you know, when you're supposed to be in, in the court of Siam, you want to have dark eyes. So I was always told to look down. Just keep your eyes on the floor. So it was kind of funny. Well, one night, (laughs) well, my hair was covered, so you couldn't see the blonde hair. But um, (laughs) one night I come into the theater about two months into the run of of the show about 7.15 because show goes on at 8. I thought, well, I don't need much time to get ready. I walk in the stage door and the stage manager literally grabs me and says, she's sick, you're on. (laughs) My life flashed before my face in that moment terrifying exciting but you know and as an understudy you know your part backward and forward you practice with the stage manager so you know all the choreography the songs all that so i was prepared but not really prepared for for the enormity of this role it's probably one of the biggest roles for a female in all of musical history i mean musical theater so you know you're uh, it's a three-hour show and i'm on stage all but about 20 minutes so you know, putting on the costumes, those big hoop skirts, handling the props. I'd never done any of that. Needless to say, a scene with Yul Brynner, who was a huge iconic <laughs> star at that time. So I had 45 minutes to get ready to go whistle happy tune for a song on the show. And I mean, it was just a blur. You know, the, the dresser's getting me dressed, the hairdresser's doing my hair. Well, I went out on stage. I survived. I didn't die. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I know. I thought, okay, that was good. I got through that. Phew. Well, the leading lady was sick with pneumonia for about two weeks. So I got to go on for two weeks and I thought, this is awesome. I've got this great credit now. I can tell people I did this and went back to the chorus because that's what you do when you're an understudy. About a month or so later, I get a call one morning in my hotel room from one of the producers and he said, Mr. Brenner has bought out her contract, her two-year contract. He wants you in the role. Wow. What about just fell over because it doesn't happen that way in theater. You never put an understudy. It just, you always get somebody better known from New York. I was in my twenties. None of this made sense, but I think he just felt more comfortable. I don't know why. I think I brought a youthfulness to the show that wasn't there before because she was older. Typically that role's played by a woman in her forties, fifties. I was in my twenties, which is more historically correct. Right. But, you know, so it made no sense. Well, I ended up being with the show almost three years, did about a thousand performances all around the U.S. I still meet people every now and then that say, I saw you in Detroit, which is kind of interesting. When That's I awesome. It was a long time. I'm glad they remember. But I think the best part of the show for me was meeting my husband. About six months in, he joined as the associate conductor. And we quite literally fell in love across the footlights because he was down in the pit and I could see him. And I thought he was cute. And he thought he actually thought I was a much older British woman in her 40s, you know, had a great English accent. Then he finds out, you know, I'm a girl from New Jersey that just has a good English accent. So we met and fell in love, finished the tour. Well, actually, he left a year before to go do a, a different big Broadway tour. But then we, I got off the tour. We got married a couple months later in July of 83. Then about six months after that, well, maybe a little longer, March of 04, we had a friend that kept inviting us to church, a born-again Jewish gal. We were we had a little side business in New York, still, you know, pursuing our careers, wanting to be famous. We had this little side business, and she was like a business mentor for us, but she was also born again, and she kept inviting us to church. And she invited us and invited us over and over till finally Mike and I just looked at each other and went. 
we have got to just get this over with. It's, it's rude if we say no one more time. So we said yes. She said, come Friday night. We've got a great gospel choir. You'll love the music, which kind of pulled us in. So <laughs> we went with her on a Friday night. We got on the F train in New York to Jamaica, Queens. If, if you know where that is, it's not on the tourist guide. You know, you don't mm. typically go to Jamaica, Queens. No, not to say anything about anybody that's from there. I'm from New Jersey. So, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> but, you know, we get off that we get off the train. It's the last train on the F stop. And we're starting to walk towards this old movie theater where this big church was in. And as we're going, you can almost feel the music just pulsating as you walk down the street. Well, we walked into the theater and it was like, for me, it was like walking on a far planet. I was raised Episcopal. I didn't know the Lord. I didn't certainly didn't understand the Holy Spirit. And it just smacks you in the face when you walk in. And I thought, what foreign planet did I just land <laughs> on? It was an all black church. We were the only white faces. There are probably a couple thousand people in this church. Wow. And I mean, just a holiness church. I mean, it was just amazing. Our friend sits us down in the front row. <laughs> because you weren't so enough as it was. <laughs> We had no escape, but the pastor, he was amazing. He gave the altar call at the end. Our arms went up, our hands went up, and we'd never looked back. Wow. But then it was really, I mean, it's just a, such a different way to meet the Lord. And we both met him on the same night, which is interesting. I was 29 when I met the Lord. So it was a while ago. About a year after that, we had our daughter, Francesca. And about a year after that, we're still living in New York, still pursuing, but starting to get this feeling that something about this isn't right. And the more we would pray and get counsel from others, we got the clear sense that God was saying, you need to lay this down. This is not the path that I have for you, which just, you know, you think this is crazy. This makes no sense. My husband has a doctorate in conducting, you know, in, in musical theater. And here God's saying, lay this down. We've worked our whole lives for this, but we obeyed, you know, we, it, it was a little lot of trepidation, but we said, okay, we moved back to New Jersey for a season, then ended up in Orlando where Franny was raised. And, you know, homeschooling, home business kind of jumped in in the 80s, back when there were no computers. So y'all need to respect me for my... <laughs> no, this is a I mean, where we're talking to here. Yeah, I mean, I think we probably use mimeograph machines still. You know, you just wow. get together with them and go... Well, what are you doing? What curriculum? We did not have the vast array. You all are so blessed in what you have today. And to have a, an organization like Teach Them Diligently to gather you together where you can share. I mean, I, I think it's wonderful. I wish I'd had it, but we survived. You know, we figured it out. So, yeah, we moved down to, to Florida and everything came from that. But I think the thing that, that makes me most interested about this whole story is when you lay down something for the Lord, and some of you, God may be calling you to lay something down, there's always going to be fruit at the end. I like to say for Mike and I, our ceiling became her floor because what we wanted was fame and fortune. God said, I can take this these giftings through her because she wants to honor me. She wants to worship me. So to see that happen with her, I mean, that's a whole nother amazing story right. how everything happened for her and how God just raised her up like that and go, Okay, but she had and has a very humble heart, a very sure. worshipful heart. She's not into the fame thing. That's kind of a byproduct. Her desire is to serve and honor the Lord, which she's done in a, in a really impactful way. But I think, I think it's sometimes we lay something down that seems so huge. God says, I'm going to reward you in this. Yeah. And he did. It's just like, I think about Abraham when God says, Abraham, leave everything you know, your family, your home, your business, leave it all your gods. 
follow me, come to a land, I'll show you. I'm not going to tell you, you follow me. And Abraham did. When you think about it, it's crazy. But because he did, God accounted it to him as righteousness and changed the world through that one act of obedience. So you just don't know when God, as hard as it is, God's asking you to lay it down. If you know it's him, get prayer, get confirmation, but don't be afraid to do it because there will be fruit. Well, and his his ways are so much higher and better than anything that we would have ever imagined. And, and that's what I was thinking as you were talking. And I love how you you noted that your ceiling was her floor. What a beautiful way to express that. And the way that you all prepared her to launch and prepared her for what God has allowed her to do is astonishing too. So I want, and you guys just had one daughter, is that correct? Right. Okay. So, so Francesca is your only daughter. So how, as you, as you laid this down and then started to see these giftings in her, how did that impact the way that she was schooled and the way that she was prepared before, you know, we're going to eventually get to empty nesting, but before she was ready to launch and go off on her own and you guys were ready to send her out, what did that look like in the interim? Well, before all that, I, I, Mike and I wanted a big family. We wanted five kids, all the chaos, all the craziness, but over and over, even after four adoption attempts, a miscarriage, all that stuff, God said, you're having one child. It makes total sense to me now because we wouldn't have had the resources. We wouldn't have the time to really invest in her. And I think she was about four years old when I, I realized Mike and I looked at each other and said, her bent is toward the arts somewhere. And I thought, well, I don't want to go into theater because I know what that's like. Let's put her in ballet. And she loved ballet. She actually danced for about 12 years and I thought she was going to be a ballerina. But then these musical gifts came up and I'm a big proponent. What I talk about in my first book, Growing Great Kids, is have a big dream for your child. Don't be afraid. And by big dream, I don't mean fame and fortune. I just mean something outside, maybe what you think, or you see something in them and you go, God, I'm going to dig deep with you to figure out, is this you? Right. What is this? And the more I do, the more God would start to show me things. Therefore, I can't tell anyone like he's showing me. But as he showed me, I would just continue to pray and dig deep with him to make sure, make sure I'm not crazy, Lord, because I saw a lot of this before it happened, which I think we will if we're not afraid. Yeah. And just not afraid to dig deep. So we just put a lot of effort into her. My husband managed her. She was homeschooled most of her years. A few years she went to Christian school because God was starting to do things in me and I, her, she needed that time. But then, you know, she graduated at 16, took a year off the end of 11th grade, which I'm sure a lot of, a lot of your, your kids are able to do. But she took that year off and did her first independent album. Wow. And started playing out all over. We would take her, you know, there was a movie theater in Winter Park, Florida. We lived at North of Orlando. And every Friday night, rain or shine, she would be out there just outside the movie theater, just doing her guitar. People would come by and listen. It was very good training, but not always easy when it's freezing cold or really, really hot. She was very dedicated to pursuing those things, to continuing to write. And she went off to college for finished her grad, you know, graduated. But an interesting thing she did, she was working with a ministry that ministered to youth, but the, the guy who ran it wanted to take a group of kids for a semester to go with him, to leave school behind and go with him and be in ministry and missions with him. And she wanted to do it. We thought, this is going to mess up everything. You're on a trajectory. But she said, I really feel the Lord's telling me to lay down college and do this. And I thought, well, 
worked out for us, you know, in an odd way. But so she did. And after that, finished her last semester and then everything broke open for her. I think because she was willing to humble herself yeah. to say, I'm letting all that go. Yep. Lord, I want what you want. And when we do that, right. no matter what the consequences may be, no matter what, but we, you know, I, Mike managed her and we were able to help her get to the point where Nashville was interested, where a record company came and said, they came and stood in our kitchen. These three executives from this, from this record company is called Fervent Records back then. Now it's Perg. She played guitar, played this song and they said, that's it. We want you. And wow. the interesting thing, you all want the song Free to Be Me, probably. She wrote that after she had an accident in a lawyer, a la- lady lawyer's driveway, which was not really a great thing to do. After oh. the lady lawyer said, don't back into my car, she backed into her car. Oh, no. My fender. But she's as she's riding home, she was so upset and she starts crying. And then she felt the Lord download this song to her. Sure. She sat on the end of her bed the next day and played it for us because she always would play the new things. As soon as she finished, I said, Franny, that's a number one hit song. I don't know how to tell you how that's going to happen, but I know that in my knower. And it was the first, I think the first number one by a female in eight years when it came out. Wow. Was that nominated for Grammy? No, I don't, I don't know if, I don't remember if it was now, but a bunch of Doug Awards. I mean, she just shot to the top. It was like, and it's crazy. It doesn't usually happen that way, but right. I, I would take those dreams as things I'd see. I'd be like, Lord, what do I do with this? You know, so we, we were never, our goal was never, we want her to be famous. It was just, we want her to find where God wants her. Right. What's her destiny? What's her purpose in this world? Yeah. We can see that now. It's changing a little bit now. She's in her thirties, has six kids. So, you know, moms, you all know how that changes, but <laughs> still I'm still writing a lot. So we'll see, yeah. we'll see what her next phase is. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And yeah, just side note, she's really fun to follow on Instagram as she, <laughs> she, as she shows you, you know, the farm and the kids and all this stuff. Yeah. Oh, God, she's she's a joy. But but one of the things that was really coming to mind a lot as you were talking is one of the blessings of being a what we call a heart schooling parent, a parent who homeschools with our child's heart and their their purpose and how God wants to use them in mind. One of the benefits of heart schooling is you get to know your children on such a deep level that you're much more in tune with what their giftings are, what their bents are. You don't have to fit them into a box that wasn't created for them because you're able to set them free to truly explore how God would use them and to prepare themselves in that way. And it's just, it's an amazing benefit of heart schooling. It really is. It is. And I think, like you said, knowing their bent, and it may be very different than yours. Really? My husband was the first musician in his family. No one, no one had ever gone into music, but his parents supported him in that. With Franny, it was a little different because we came out of the entertainment world, not like she was doing, but we understood the world enough to help, help her navigate those waters in the beginning. But yeah, I mean, I think plus for being an only child, we had more time. I mean, we would sit out in the morning, do our Bible study together, mark up our Bibles and talk about things. And you don't always get to do that if you have six kids. I know for her, it's, it's a little more split up, but they're all different ages. So as they grow, you begin to see in those personalities, okay, where is this going? You know, one we know is very intellectual. One's definitely going to be an artist. One is the sensitive one. I don't know what God has for him. I mean, they just, you can start to see, all right, there's different things that mark them. Yeah. But don't be afraid if 
what their gift is is something totally different than yours. You know, your your family are scientists and that your kid wants to be a musician or an artist or something like that. Just dig with God. Let him tell you and then try to follow that as best you can and make as many opportunities as are possible available to them. Yes, yes. And and I love the fact that you you had to lay down your desire for a large family. But now you've got all the chaos and noise you could ever want with six grandkids. I mean, for sure. And and I, I tell people that per, that years give perspective. Mm-hmm. What I could not see in the time, and I was a miserable soul for about five years when I really believed I'd have more children and it wasn't happening. I was not happy with God. But I can look back now and say, okay, now I see what you're doing. I'm grateful that it turned out this way as hard as it was in those years. And you're right. I have six wild Indians that come over. <laughs> Most of them are boys. I raised a girl. It's like, boys, they just don't stop moving or making noise. They're, they're precious. <laughs> they really don't, but they are so affectionate and so loving. Meanie and Poppy come over and they just run to us. So there's great joy, satisfaction in that. I love it. I love it. Well, we are, we have our first son getting married this summer. I've got three that are, you know, really could could launch at any time. They're finishing up their college studies and stuff like that. So I know you're talking in Pigeon Forge this year about empty nest. And so I wanted to just kind of hear a little preview of what you've got to say and pick your brain a little bit because I'm not quite there, but I know that I'm going to blink two more times. And that's the, that's, I've, I've blinked about three and I've gotten to this point. So I figure I've got another couple of blinks before before David and I find ourselves there. Uh, so what what have you guys learned about this this stage of life that is the empty nest? Well, it's not easy. And I have to tell you, when Franny finally moved out, she was gone and in Nashville and everything, it really hit me like a ton of bricks because I thought, well, that, that was my role for right. all these years. And now who, I, who am I? What do I do now? And it's hard. I mean, you're going to go through a grief season for sure. There are things about it that you just go, this this just stinks. I don't like this. I'm home all alone. At that time, Mike had always worked from home. But during the beginning of the empty nest, he worked out of the home. So I thought, I'm really alone. This is not fun. And, you know, after a while, even TJ Maxx and Target will lose their appeal. <laughs> You've helped me shop so much. So I think what we need to do, I'm actually working on a book about this right now. We need to take some positive steps. Take that time. Allow yourself those moments to just to grieve and say, this this is really hard. It's harder than I thought it was, but I can get through it. But I also tell women, this is act two. Mom is not your only name. God has a whole other purpose for you. If you had told me 10 years ago, Kate, in 10 years, you'll have written two books, be working on your third, you'll have a successful podcast, and you'll be speaking around the country. I'd have said, you are out of your mind. None of those things are me. I'm not a writer, which God, that's a whole other story about how God dare me write my first book. None of those things felt like me, but God said, they are you, but you have to walk into them. You have to trust me and take what I call a God dare and do the crazy thing that makes absolutely no sense. And so, you know, I think it's really looking at your life and saying, okay, what are these gifts that I have? What is that little niggling thing in there that God's been speaking to me about for a while? I'm like, you know, I'm supposed to do that, but it's scary, but we need to prepare for it. In those years when they're still home, be thinking about what is that thing I'm supposed to do? Could you maybe volunteer somewhere where that will help help to teach you? You know, if you want to be in ministry, 
go work at a church or work with someone that's in that world, or you want to be a politician. And there are many Christians that want to go into that and need them desperately. We'll go volunteer for somebody, somebody's campaign. There's a lot we can do, time permitting. But also, I tell women to to do things in the margins. You know, those little bits of space where you have something. Listen to a podcast, watch a YouTube video, take a class when the kids are asleep or they're at school or, or doing lessons, or you've taken them to a you know ballet lesson or something like that, or you're in the carpool line. There's always time to fit things in. We just have to take that time. And if you do that, at the end of the year, you're going to be amazed what you've learned and how much further you've gotten to that goal. You know, so many women want to write a book and I'm thinking, well, you've got to just start writing when you have time and obviously pray about it. Anything you feel God's telling you to do, pray, get prayer from close friends, you know, say, look, I think I'm supposed to do this crazy thing, maybe be a missionary in a far country or you know, run a triathlon or it can be anything, but start preparing now because it's going to hit you. You know, it's going to come out of the blue and you're going to go, oh man, holy moly, where did this come from? And you're going to sit there and go, well, what do I do now? But now's the time. Start that business, learn the language, write the book, do any of those things God is showing you is your next chapter because there's so much more. I think if we just realized God has a huge plan for us, all we have to do is walk into it. One of the scariest things for me is missing what God has for me. I missed the Lord till I was 29. I have a lot to not make up for, but whatever was written in my book, I missed all that part. I am determined not to miss whatever else he has. And a story to illustrate this, if you've heard of Reinhard Bakke, he was a huge missionary in Africa years ago. He's deceased now, but millions came to the Lord through him, kind of like the Billy Graham of Africa. Okay. Well, after a few years, God told him, you are not my first choice. I asked two other men to do this and they turned me down. I mean, it gives me chills thinking about it because I imagine those guys getting to heaven and God says, look what I had. I offered it to you on a silver platter. Yes, it was going to be scary. Yes, it was going to be hard. Yes, your life is going to be threatened, but look what I had. And they're going to have, they may make it to heaven, but they'll have such regret. And my, my thought is, I don't want to regret, and I don't want any of you to just take that nudge, take that God dare, that crazy thing that makes no sense and that you know you can't do on your own. But if God calls you to it, he will equip you to do it. And that I've just seen all through my life. Yeah, amen. It's it's so true. And I think that we we see so many women who get to that that stage of life. And like you noted, they're so lost. You know, what what am I supposed to do now? And it leads to just a real crisis of identity, a crisis of faith. We see marriages. I I talk about refocusing on our marriage. And one of the things that is so stunning to me is over the last like 10 years, what they call gray marriages have doubled and tripled depending on the age. So like gray, these the marriages that, you know, have have launched their kids are falling apart in crazy numbers. And it all it it all could be avoided by, like you were noting, prepare for this season, have a vision for what God has for you. And, you know, so personally, I think that you address that beautifully. But as far as your relationship with your spouse, because there's coming a day when it's just going to be the two of you again, but it'll be very different than the two babies that just got married and everything was so fresh and clean. Now you're a little worn out. <laughs> So, so how do you prepare to make sure that you are 
you know, gray divorce proofing your marriage so that you don't you don't walk into this season, which I as as much as I am not wanting my kids to leave, there are things that I'm really looking forward to. I I the Lord is starting to give more opportunities for David and I. And, you know, there's it. it He's he's the person I want to hang out with most of all in the world anyway. And so how do you prepare yourself for that new season that is a mixed bag of emotion, I'm sure, that you can really, really thrive and enjoy it? Yeah, I think you have to start preparing now. You were a wife before you were a mom in right. almost all cases. So that's got to be the most important relationship. Other than your relationship with the Lord, it's husband, kids, grandkids or whatever. And I think you prepare now while the kids are home, have a date night. There are ways I have a whole list in my book of ways to do it that that could be fun. You can be at home. They don't have to cost a lot of money. Maybe you and a friend can switch. You know, you take my kids this week. I'll take yours next week or grandma and grandpa are nearby. Will they take them overnight and do an an overnight stay at home little date night or go out? If you have the money, you go to a B&B for a weekend. There's so many things we can do. We have to do it now to keep our marriage fresh. Or like you said, that time that's going to come where it's just you and him and you better know each other now, spend that time to invest in each other now. And it's really not hard, but again, you have to make time for it. You just, you have to plan for it, purpose to do it. Because, you know, like you mentioned just before, after the ent- emptiness, there is that grieving time, but then there's also excitement. And for some parents, that's in the very beginning. It's like, my house will finally be quiet. <laughs> if you're an introvert or you're, you know, don't like being a lot of around a lot of people, that might be a great time for you. But yeah, the main thing is to prepare now for what God has next. Keep your marriage strong. You know, of course, you're going to be praying for your kids for whatever's coming next for them. So I think one of the scary things, a lot of kids leave home and in, in secular colleges and things like that, it draws them away from the Lord. Yeah. So maintaining that strong relationship with them as best you can and praying for them. It's this culture, you know, I'm glad I didn't raise Franny with social media, with computers, with all of that. I think we were blessed. It's very hard for y'all just because you don't know who's going to show your son something awful on their phone. Uh We have to just be vigilant. We have to really, really pray in this world at this time to be super careful and be, be very careful with what we allow them to have. Yeah. You know, are they allowed a cell phone? Are they allowed a computer? That's just a little side note. But yeah, (laughs) prepare now for all these things. You really can begin now. Oh, absolutely. And 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 also it's so important to to make sure that your relationship with the Lord is solid, because I will tell you, I am already seeing that parenting young adults, even young adults who love God and have have given me no reason to think that their desire is not to walk with him. So they are doing great. It's still the questions that they're facing, the culture they're walking out into. You know, I have two boys that are my two oldest. I'm like, I would hate to be them right now. They are really walking into a hornet's nest. And so the faith that it takes to parent young adults and to stay close to them requires you to know your God well and stay on your knees. Oh, it really does. And, and, there's no excuse not to take that time with the Lord. I don't care if you have to get up an hour early. There's nothing more critical than praying for your kids. It's it's so important in this culture. One of the big things that bugs me is the lack of modesty, particularly among girls. Even moms, you see these, I see these moms in the grocery store. I'm thinking, why are they in these t- 
tight, you know, spandex pants and a bra top. I'm like, could y'all just put some clothes on? And these young girls who, you know, Saturday night, they're dressed one way. Sunday morning in church, it's very different. That's just a, a rant on my part. But the lack of modesty really bugs me. And for boys, especially, how are they handling that? But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so important to to pray and make that time. Do it in the car. When you're going to the grocery store, be pray. I do that whenever I walk. If Mike's out with me, I will walk and pray the whole time just for everyone and anyone I could think of and my kids and grand, my daughter and grandkids. So don't, don't neglect prayer. That would be my biggest piece of advice. Amen. Amen. And God is so faithful. God is so faithful to direct our steps. As you noted throughout our show today, he is so faithful to be near us when we are hurting or when we are fearful or whatever. He is such a good, good father. And we are so blessed that he wants us to know him and he wants us to draw near to him. And he wants our kids to know him and draw to him near to him as well. And that's our great privilege to get to point them in that direction and model that for them every day to prepare them and us for that launch into this new season in our life. Exactly. And he has good gifts for them, just like he does for you. We just sometimes forget some of those things in the Bible that God says, he's saying about you and me. Mike's always saying, you have to see yourself the way the Lord sees you, because it's easy to forget that he has a plan, that I'm blessed, that I'm, you know, bold in him, that I'm the bride of Christ, all those things we just forget. And God's saying, these are good gifts I've given you. You need to accept them and walk into them. So you're right. But he has the exact same thing for our kids. And we need to, we need to teach that to them. Oh, no question. No question. Well, Kate, we are just about out of time, but I am just really excited about the fact that you'll be joining us in Pigeon Forge this year. I want you to give everybody just a headline of the sessions that you're giving so they know what they can expect. I I suspect that after hearing this podcast, they're going to want to make sure they block time for it. So tell them what they can expect. Well, I'll be teaching about this. I call this motherhood, the after party, because it is a party. Once you get past this ad part, it really, there's so much more for you that we forget. And then I'm going to also speak on kind of uh, on growing great kids. How do you, when we, when I wrote that book, it was after God had given me this talk about 15 things and the intentional things that we did to raise our daughter. And it's just all about that. What, what are some of those elements that you need to have in your life, in your training of your children, but also taking that God dare and trusting the Lord that he has something for them, but also for you. So I'll kind of be mixing those two things together, but I really want to give parents my perspective of child rearing to raise them to know and love the Lord and want to follow him for their full lives. Yeah. Because that's not as easy to do today. No, no. Well, I, it probably was never easy, but there is an awful lot of cultural influences that are pushing against things of the Lord in a really, really strong way. So, so yeah, I'm mean, very excited to to have you there. But in the meantime, everyone can still hang out with you pretty regularly on your podcast. So tell us about your podcast and the lovely ladies that you chat with regularly. It's called the Mom to Mom Podcast. And it's me, Jamie Erickson, and September McCarthy, who I'm sure your listeners know because they're they're well-known in the homeschool world. And what's interesting about this mothering podcast, it's three generations of moms. So we've been, you know, Jamie still has kids at home in September. Also, she has 10 kids and grandkids. So some of her kids are often married. 
and some are still at home. I have one, so I'm the mom of an only, which actually about 20% of families have, have an only child. So we've just got this perspective, which is different. A lot of podcasts for women or for moms are young women talking to young women, which right. is great and has a place, but you need the perspective that years give you. And we talk about anything and everything, all Bible-based Christian. We have some great guests. We've had you on, Leslie, just some amazing guests that will come on and give their perspective on all these different, all these different kind of issues that moms face. Yeah, yeah, it's an it's an excellent podcast, and we highly recommend it. We're actually excited to have all three of you. I know we were we were working to make sure Jamie Jamie lives in the middle of nowhere, so we're trying to make sure we can get her travel worked out. <laughs> but we're, I we're hoping, so that's yeah, exactly we're hoping that that Jamie will be there as well. That is that is our plan and our prayer. But excited for you guys all to be there with us in Pigeon Forge and serving. The families that are there serving alongside of us, it is always a joy to to see you and hang out with y'all. Well, we can't wait. I'm so excited for May. It's going to be amazing. It is. It is. Well, thank you again for hanging out with us, Kate. It's been so, so fun. For the rest of you, I appreciate you are making the time to listen in today. I suspect that you've heard an awful lot that got your attention, that, that gave you hope, that maybe piqued your interest of ways that you can can start preparing your kids for the great big things that God has for them in the days ahead while you're also preparing yourself for that next stage, that motherhood after party, as Kate so beautifully noted. So make sure that you that you share this with your friends. There, are, What Kate shared today would be so beneficial for everyone to hear. So share this with your friends. Then plan to join us in Pigeon Forge. We would absolutely love to see you there. Um, there is nothing akin to getting together with thousands of others who would look and act and think and are making decisions for their family just like yours in a time when culture is so, so difficult and so against things of the Lord. The refreshment and the encouragement and the help and the tips and the ideas that you will get there is impossible to help you understand until you experience it. So make sure that you join us there. Make it a, a priority for your family. We would love to see you. So have a great rest of your day. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you for joining me today. It's my prayer that every episode of the Homeschooling Families podcast helps to strengthen your family by giving you biblical and practical ways to raise your children and educate them well. We'd love to engage with you more, so check out teachthemdiligently.net to find out about the resources and experiences we offer Christian homeschooling families like yours all year long.